Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Switch to Sprint Unlimited Basic, featuring TV from Hulu and 500 megabytes of mobile hotspot. Plus, for a limited time, get five lines for only $120 per month. Hurry to a Sprint store or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Offer ends 8-16-18 after 131-2020. Pay $32 per month per line for five lines without a pay. One Hulu limited commercial plan for eligible Sprint account. MHS reduced to 3G speed after 500 megabytes per month. Coverage and offer not available everywhere. Excludes taxes, fees, and roaming. Requires new lines. Subject to credit and three activation fee. Video streams up to 480p. Speed maximums. Use rules and restrictions apply. Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Ryan Tannehill, quarterback for the Miami Dolphins, and I represent the Finsider with the PH. Good evening, everybody. It's a Friday night episode of the Finsider podcast or the Finsider radio show. A uh, little bit different, throwing it up on the Friday night this week. Had some technical issues trying to get it up last night. But uh, we're back up and running tonight. I know it's the first time we've had the Finsider radio show on since, I think, the draft. I think the first round of the draft was the last time we had a show. So we're trying to reset a little bit, trying to get you guys back to listening, trying to get us back into getting used to uh, broadcasting again, and starting to tra- talk some Dolphin stuff now that the off season is starting to transition into preseason and training camp and that kind of stuff. Still a few weeks away, but OTAs, mini camps are getting there. So football's back on the field, and there's stuff to talk about. So uh, just to let you all know, I'm Kevin. If you haven't listened to the show before or you don't recognize my voice because it has been a while since I've been on the show, I'm Kevin. I'm the host and obviously run the Finsider. With me as my producer and the associate editor of the Finsider is James. So, James, go ahead and say good evening or hi. Hello. 
Whew, that was great radio right there. <laughs> also with me is the other associate editor, editor of the Finsider, and my co-host for the show. It's Duke. Chris Early is he's on the site, but Duke, how are you tonight? I'm good. Good. Glad to hear that. Um, like I said, this has been a while, guys. So as you're listening, you have questions, by all means, put them up on thefinsider.com. Go over there. There's a live thread. You can put up the show or your questions that way. We'll absolutely take them. You can always tweet to us at the Finsider, at the Finsider with a PH, as Ryan Tannehill told you at the start of the show. And then you can also give us a call. Um, I will forewarn you right now because we are really rusty. Calling in might not be your best option to get your questions on tonight because we have a ton of stuff we want to talk about. And I'm not used to looking for callers anymore, and it's going to take James going, hey, Kevin, check your board before I actually remember that there are callers. But you can give us a call at 347-326-9461 if you want to try to get in that way. Um, let's just start with the draft. Let's, let's go all the way back to the draft. Obviously, Duke, you and I were on the air throughout the first round, um, all the way through Jawan James and on through the rest of the round. So looking back now, do you have any change to your feeling on the pick of Jawan James? Was he the right pick? Do you agree with what a lot of people still say that he was a reach? Or do you think he's going to be opening day, right tackle, and he's going to lock that down for the Dolphins for five, seven? Well, first of all, I think the word reach needs to be eliminated from vocabulary. And I understand why it's there. But really, when when someone says, and I'm not talking about the fans, I'm talking about when you see a guy like, Mel Kuyper or McShay or whoever say that that a player is a reach. What they're saying is that player wasn't as high on their board as it was on the Dolphins' board. Now, if the Dolphins came out and admitted that, yeah, we didn't, we couldn't trade down, we'd rather get him somewhere lower or some other nonsense, which they'll never actually say, <clears throat> then you could say that was a reach. <clears throat> but if I recall reading a few things about, um, about that pick right after it happened is they had basically they had five offensive tackles with a first round grade and he was the uh, apparently the only one available that still had the first round grade. So the Dolphins had a high grade on Juwan James. So I'm not gonna say he was a reach. <clears throat> now if he doesn't play up to that ability then you know you can look back on that a few years from now. But by the Dolphins, from what I understand, they thought of him a lot higher than a lot of other people. So I'm not going to say the word reach. Now, I think that the big issue with a lot of fans thought that they could have, the Dolphins could have traded down and picked him up, and that may be true. But, um, you know, that's one of those things we'll never know. So as far as the right pick, I think he's a good pick. Um, you know, I read a lot of stuff about him before the draft. Uh, I watched a little bit of tape on him, but I believe that um, he's a guy that <clears throat> his issues were in run blocking, but I think that's something that's correctable. It's not uh, a complete deficiency. He's very technically sound. He's very athletic, and he's a big guy. So, and, and the good part is he's already played the right side. He's got plenty of experience there. So you're you're not getting a guy who's going to be making a transition like we saw we've seen in the past where <laughs> where a player has played left tackle in college, gets moved to the right side, and they struggle there a little bit. This guy is 
he's familiar with that spot. He's ready to go at right tackle. So um, I like the pick. Um, you know, of course, we've not seen much from OTAs. And unfortunately, you know, Cameron Wake is, as Omar Kelly talks about, is not a good practice player. And I can see that because he says, you know, he's, he's a very violent type player. He's not the kind of guy that goes all out in practice and gives 100%. He's a guy that when the pads come on and the lights come on, he's he's ready to go. And so I'm not worried about him. But I think Wake will test him when the pads come on in training camp in a, in a, in a couple of weeks, so a few weeks. So that'll that'll be interesting to watch that. Um, but, yeah, I, like, I still like to pick. Um <laughs> Uh, I have no issues with it. I think that, that, that your point on the right tackle is a key one, that the Dolphins knew they needed a right tackle. They went and got a right tackle. So I think that that's absolutely huge, that we all scream up and down that he's – or we have too many guys coming in from small schools and that these guys aren't ready to make a transition. But I think the Dolphins – did really well in picking the guys they picked, and I'm sure we'll talk about it again in a minute, but they picked the guys they picked because they wanted to, one, have the time to develop them, but two, they made they made sure that they fit the system that Bill Lazor and Kevin Coyle are installing, so that way, even if they are coming from a small school, their transition is easier because we are... We're putting a right tackle in the right tackle, not a left tackle in the right tackle. So I think I think it was good in that. But okay, go on, go on, Duke. Well, and one thing I wanted to say about the Juwan James pick is uh, is on the Dolphins website. There's a video of him. Um, right, it's of him uh, the day after he's drafted, uh, coming to the Dolphins facilities, meeting Hickey, meeting uh, Philbin, and. They're interviewing him in the car, and he basically said, and he also said, in the in the other Finsiders interview with um, and Greg Likens, is that it? Yep, that's um, his name. Yep. That, um, he said that in both of those videos, he said that when he got down here, he did not want to leave. And I believe he told Coach Philbin, if I'm not mistaken, he said, Coach, what do I got to do to stay here? What do I got to do to come back? I want to be here. So, you know, this is obviously not a Jonathan Martin situation where he is out of a comfort zone or not comfortable. He did not want to leave on his pre-draft visit. So he was he, he wanted to be in Miami. So I think he's very content. He said that uh, – he even said that, you know, when the when the pick came in, it was about two minutes to go, and, he, he you know, he'd heard some things. He was like, well, I guess they're not going to pick me. And he said, as soon as I thought that, the phone rang. And uh, so he's – he is excited about being here, so I think he's going to give yeah. 110% to uh, because he he wants to be here. So uh, they said uh, they said that when he got here for his post draft, come in, meet the team, all that, the visit and everything. He hasn't left. He has been here every day, and he has been working every day, getting into the getting into the team facility working out with the guys, meeting everybody, trying to trying to understand what his role is. And, I mean, you don't hear that from rookies. And then you go back to our last – oh, as I throw my phone across the room. Um, as you go back to the last couple years, 
where we've had the players who can't come in because of NFL rules and that they their schools are still in session, so they can't come in until the last day of the academic calendar is complete. And here you have now a guy that the day after he was picked, the draft is still going on, and he's down here trying to move into Miami to make sure that he is here and ready to go from day one. And you can't ask for anything more from a rookie. But um, uh, transitioning over, and I know that we do have a caller on, so I'll get to him in just a minute. But uh, transitioning over, I wanted to talk second round real quick. Thoughts on Jarvis Landry, Duke? Um, Well, when I first – that weekend was the weekend my brother got married. So I was was kind of keeping up – you know, uh, Kevin, you were sending me texts on who was getting picked. Um, I was trying to keep up with it on Twitter when I could. Um, so I, I remember standing in the uh, the vestibule of the church after the rehearsal. Uh, I think we were getting ready Good to go word. to the rehearsal dinner. What's that? Good word. It's it's yeah. It is. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I remember looking at my phone and, and seeing that pick, and I you know I had read that. Miami was going to pick a year receiver. And, of course, you know, the guy I had been looking at was Dante Moncrief. So I was a little kind of, I don't want to say disappointed because, you know, it was I didn't get a guy I wanted, obviously. But the only thing I remember was this guy was really slow at the combine. I had not watched any tape and did not know a whole lot about him. So I thought, well, let's do a little research. <clears throat> so at first I did not like the pick at all. And then uh, – you know, Keith texted me and said that was one of his favorite picks, one of his favorite receivers in the draft. So I went back and watched some tape, and I think there's a YouTube video out there. It's about 15 minutes long, and I think it's from 2000, um, <clears throat> 2012. Uh, this guy is I, – I don't know exactly all the way to put it. He, he's got he's got deceptive speed for what his, his time speed is. Um I hand-timed him. There's a video. Uh, I, I didn't have him take, on tape on combine, so I went and watched the video, and I hand-timed him about 10, t- 10 times, and they came up around 4-6 at the combine. So, And he said he tweaked his hamstring during his 40 times. So he's probably somewhere, he's probably a 4-5 to 4-6 guy, which is a lot better sounding than the 4-7. Um, although those numbers are really, when you, when you boil it down, you know, the difference between a guy running a four four five and a four five sounds a lot worse, but that's that's an imperceptible amount of time. You're not going to notice it in in, in, re, in real life, in real time. So, right. the guy plays faster, but everyone kept saying he was a tough receiver, physically tough. Uh, and I went back and looked at a few metric studies. The guy had two drops all of last year. He caught seventy seven passes and had two drops. So you can obviously see one reason they wanted a guy like him because he's sure-handed, but he's very tough. And I've said since Brandon Marshall left that Miami doesn't have a receiver that can go across the middle. You know, you like those big targets that can go across the middle. Now, we've had a guy like Charles Clay and some tight ends that could do that, but when Marshall left a couple years ago, we didn't have a guy that could go across the middle. Now, now Devon Bass could run some of those little shorter routes, but we didn't have anybody that could run like a, you know, a, 10 to 12 yard in route, and that's what this guy can do. Now he's not a big guy; he's only five eleven, around six foot, depending on what website you're looking at. And he's about 205 pounds, but the guy just—he just goes across the middle, and he takes hits. He gets up. Just a tough guy. Um, and the more I watched his tape, I was like, this guy is just—he's phenomenal. 
And I noticed a few times they would run goal line plays for him, or there would be LSU would have plays that they would run where they would run one receiver, and he was the guy. It wasn't Odell Beckham. So this was the guy that they relied on when they needed a play. There was one play, I think it was in 2012, against Alabama where they threw a, a, a fade route to the corner on this guy, and he makes an adjustment on the ball and makes a beautiful catch over the defender, and I was like, I had to watch it three or four times. I was like, that is just amazing. So, you know, I have come around to that pick. I'm going to like this pick, I think. I think most Dolphins fans are going to like him because he's going to be that third-down guy. He's going to fill that role for the team. It's whenever whenever Tannehill drops back, it's third and five, third and six, and they need that they need that first down. This is the guy that's going to get it. Uh, when they need a uh, tough catch, he's the guy that's going to take it. Um, and I think he's going to be I think he's going to be a red zone threat. Um, they're not going to use him like on the fade routes and the jump ball stuff because he doesn't have the size necessarily. But you know, one play that I remember from last year is uh, against Carolina. Uh, Richard Matthews catches the pass in the end zone, and Luke Keekley hits him really hard, and the ball comes out. Um, I think Jarvis Landry hangs on to that ball. I think you're going to see him running slants, and, and the play I envisioned when I when actually made the pick and I posted it on the side, the comment was, I think the ultimate play that you will see with him is lining him up with part uh, line in the slot and him on the outside, and let them run a pick play. And I remember that play. The play that I envisioned was uh, two years ago when we played uh, Arizona. Uh, I think it was Larry Fitzgerald or someone scored a touchdown off the same kind of pick play. And I thought, that's what Jarvis Landry will do. Let Hartline run the pick and force that interior defender, force that interior defender, no, I'm sorry, yeah, yeah, Harlan in the slot, making force that interior defender to pick a defender. And then you have either Harlan going toward the sideline where he excels, or you have Landry going across like a slant or something where he excels. Perfect. You line Clay and Wallace up on the other side and do something similar. And, and that's that's where we tested the end. So, yeah, at first, didn't like the pick. The more I've looked into it, the more I love the pick. I think Landry is exactly... Well, that was weird. I got kicked on to hold for some reason for a second. Um, anyway, I think the Landry pick is exactly what the team needs. I think that he's going to eventually become a, if not a number one, a number two receiver, but he's the answer to what the team doesn't have with best gone. And obviously I'm talking about Miami Dolphins best, not Cleveland Browns best. Um. Bess, Bess was always that security blanket. You could throw the ball and he was going to get it. Now, he wasn't going to get it like Aronde Gadsden, who you could throw the ball 20 feet above his head and somehow Aronde and those giant hands came down with it. And Landry has giant hands like that. So he could become Aronde Gadsden for the Dolphins. And I think that that's, a, that that's exactly a role that the team needed and that's exactly a role he should fill. I think that this year we might not see as much playing time as we will next year simply because you have Wallace, Hartline, and theoretically Gibson sitting in front of him. But this team, this offense, what we're hearing out of OTAs seems to be more about spreading out the ball, putting multiple receivers out there, and then running 
multiple plays out of the same personnel packages and not letting defensive have defenses have time to react and to change out people and just attack. So if that is true, then having Hartline, Wallace, Gibson, and Landry on the field could be a huge benefit for the Dolphins. So I think that you are. You're looking at a guy that comes in and fills a role as a rookie that can develop into much more down the line. And I think it was a great pick. But uh, yeah. we'll go ahead and, and – um, yeah. Well, one, one more thing. Uh, this, we can go into this uh, just a little bit when we talk about OTAs. But from what I – he'll drops back. Uh, when Tannehill drops back, he um, his first reads are the deeper throws, intermediate, and then the short throws, which means he's, we're going to probably see more check downs than we're used to seeing because of that. However, that work, that's where I got like Landry excels because he will be – he's not a guy that's going to blow by you with speed. He's, my, a guy that's going to, he's a guy that's going to work intermediate routes uh, and short routes to get up. And so – you know, when Tannehill drops back, he's going to be looking for Wallace and maybe even Hartline on the deeper routes. And then guys like Gibson, Matthews, Landry are going to be those shorter guys. So when he gets to a second read, that's when they'll be open. Good stuff. Okay, now we're going to go ahead and bring in uh, Dolphin Fans for Life, who is we haven't spoke to in a while. Um, Kevin will be right back, Duke. So okay, here's Dolphins Fan for Life. How are you doing, man? I'm doing all right. I uh, I was I I was derelict in my duties this evening. Um, I'm pretty tired, and I forgot to uh, ask you uh, what you wanted to talk about tonight. So go well, for it. Um, I was I have a question about one of our new coaches, but I want to kind of um, while listening in, I kind of got to a point where um, there's something I want to add to the Landry pick. And one of the things is, is that he's a wide receiver that not only plays like a tight end, but he's not just there for his route running, but the routes that he's not going to run. And what I mean by that is he likes to block. He's the type of guy that'll sit there and pick up a safety, pick up a linebacker, and do the blocking in case we go into a three-wide single-back set. And you'll see him just kind of block and almost not really win every time, but that'll take pressure off of, like, needing the two tight end sets, this, that, and the other thing. One of the big things about Brandon Marshall when we brought him in was everybody talked about how he liked to block for the running backs, so on and so forth. Well, this guy loves to block. So that's another interesting aspect. Of course, everybody knows I was looking for Jordan Matthews, but overall I'm happy that we got Landry too. Um, What I was going to talk about, though, was – You know, we hear about Laser, we hear about the offensive coordinator, but the one person we don't hear too many people talking about is our new linebacker coach, Duffner. Um, 2002, he was with the Cincinnati Bengals. He was a defensive coordinator. Who else was there? 
Kevin Coyle, he was the secondary coach. So being that they have that relationship and that history, how well do you think they're going to do as far as, like, working together and getting the type of defense that um, Coyle actually wants? I think that what I've read about Duffner is that he he comes for lack of a better lack of a better term highly recommended. Um, he he uh, what I've read is that he's he, he's a he's basically a, a, a what we what we needed a linebacker coach. I mean, probably the best position coach on the on the team. Um, I think we go to Casey Rogers, our defensive line coach. Uh, and then uh, I followed closely by Dan Campbell, who has, you know, turned that uh, tight end core into, uh, you know, turned those guys into respectable in some in some areas. But um, I think this guy is going to be an improvement at the linebacker position or uh, coach, and I think he's going to um, bring out the best in what we have now. Of course, that's, that's the question is, you know, what kind of talent do we have there? And they've already uh, they're already experimenting with Coamici at the middle linebacker position in OTAs. So um, you know it's hard to really look at it now because the pads aren't on. They're not really hitting. They're not really doing stuff. It's basically just flag football. So you know those guys are probably doing more coverage. They're probably doing you know some stuff like that where it, you know not you know not working against the run as hard. So. Uh, I, I think he's going to get the most out of the guys that are there. I think the, I think LLB moving back to outside linebacker is going to be uh, good for him. Um, it's still that middle linebacker position that's going to be an issue. And, and you know, I, there's been there's been fans on the site that said that they think Nisi has is more of an, an inside linebacker anyway. Um, so. Uh, I, I think he's a consistent player. He's very good against the run. He's a very short tackler. I, I, you know, he's not a, 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 you know, a drag tackle type guy. Where, you know, we noticed some of our ta- linebackers last year. They would hit a guy, and they would still get two to three extra yards out of it. I don't think Missy's going to do that. If he hits you, you're going down. So, I think it's going to improve there. But from, from what from what I'm reading about Duffner is that he is a he is a guy that's going to uh, bring out the most in that unit, and I think that's, you know, and having a relationship with Coyle is going to be, uh, it's, only, it's only going to be helpful. I don't, you know, I don't think it's going to be uh, detrimental by any means. For lack of a better word, um, how much of the ineptitude of the linebackers do you think was on them playing injured? I mean, we we saw, like, multiple weeks, Ellerby was on the injury, might not play, questionable type deal, but we really didn't have the the depth. Of course, we had guys we drafted from like a couple years prior, but they were more special teams aces than actual. Um, well, I think what I think I think Wheeler was, was a was a liability. Um, I don't think he was good against the run. I don't think he was good in coverage. LLB did all right. He wasn't great by any means. And I think, you know, uh, if you read 
the ESPN uh, Miami Dolphins blog, uh, that James Walker does. He he did an interview with him, and he he talked about that. You know, playing outside linebacker, you, you play kind of a contain, or in a sense, you play outside in. Where at middle linebacker, you play inside out. And so he said, you at that he was he was more concerned about overrunning plays, and I think that doing that kind of slowed him down a little bit. And it's part of, you know, and I've been thinking about it when I'm talking about Tannehills. Whenever, you know, these athletes get a lot of the stuff that they do is just muscle memory. They they run routes, they throw balls, they shoot basketballs, they throw baseballs, whatever it is that they do, it is just. You know, they've done it for so long a certain way that it just comes natural. So when you start, you know, tinkering with a guy's footwork or something else like that, you know, he's having to think about think about something while he's doing it, and that slows you down. And I think that's kind of what was happening with, with Ellerby last year was that he was playing inside and he was thinking a little too hard instead of just reacting. Um so I think moving him back to outside linebacker is going to cut down on that. You know, it's going to cut down on that thinking part, and so he's going to be able to react quicker. And I think that was part of the issue because a lot of times you just saw them, um, you know, just not uh, just not getting to the play quick enough or whatever else like that. Now, same thing's going to happen with Nisi, but I think he's a little more. Um, he seems to me to be a little more technical, technically sound, so I don't think the issue's going to be there. But, uh, you know, I think injuries probably played some of that, but I don't know that it would I – I don't think necessarily some of the issues that the linebackers had were with um, with injuries as much as it was just, um, you know, they just reacted slow and and, uh, and some of them had issues tackling. That That was a big issue. That was a big problem. Right. I think that question. I think on I'm I'm jumping back in here. Sorry, we have house guests that just arrived and had to go down and welcome them. J- jumping on to the face or the what am I saying? I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. Jumping on to the linebacker topic. I'm a big believer, and I've said this many times that this year those three guys will be a lot better than they were last year. I am a big believer, and I know this word likes to stir up people on the site, but chemistry is huge. And you suddenly threw a new middle linebacker into the mix. You threw a new outside linebacker into the mix. You asked Misi to do more than he normally had been doing. And you're asking those two big guys to suddenly – learn new system, plus learn not only do they have to learn how to work next to each other, they have to learn how to work with those guys in front of them. And when you have guys like Soli and Starks that have worked next to each other forever, it doesn't take much for them to signal each other what they're going to do. But now you have Ellerby and Wheeler behind them trying to figure out what that signal just meant. And then trying to communicate with each other and making sure that Ellerby knows that if Wheeler starts to blitz, he's going to hit this hole, which means Ellerby needs to cover that hole. So that way, if the running back goes up that hole, he's there. And there's a lot of intricacies that we just sort of expect them to know. And I think that after a year of getting used to playing next to each other, and now we see the transition of Nisi into the middle, and 
Ellerby and Wheeler won't necessarily be next to each other, but they're still in that same core. They're still working the same defensive system. They're going to I, – I, I fully believe they're going to be a lot better this year. Now, that being said, are they going to be outstanding pro bowlers? Probably not, but I think they're going to be a lot better than what they were last year. I think that we also had the unfortunate hindsight of um, Carlos Dansby playing out of his mind last year, a season that nobody on the planet would have expected him to have. And it it, it did what he needed it to do because now he chased the money. But it, it you, you suddenly have Carlos Dansby – back in Arizona playing out of his mind and the Dolphins are struggling at linebacker. And I do think part of that is he went back to a place that he is comfortable in while we brought in two new guys who had to learn a new system and learn how to play next to each other. But you're asking, um, you're, you're asking a fan base to be calm about the idea that the linebacker they gave up on is having a great season while the linebackers they signed for lots of money are suddenly struggling. So I think that I, I think it's fair critique from the fans, but I do believe that this year they're going to be better. Yeah, and as far as Dansby goes, he you know, he, he was he was good here when Miami ran the three four. When they moved to the four three more, uh he wasn't as good. I think playing in their system in Arizona, uh, he, he went back to a he went back to that three four system that he excelled at, and he he plays better in that role. I think um, the interesting thing from what I'm hearing from OTAs is, and and rookie mini camps is that Jordan Tripp has been playing middle linebacker, and I've heard some people say that um, that's a position that they he could play. I've heard some people say that he can't couldn't play that. Um, I think it's going to depend on what what Misi does at, in, at middle linebacker. I think you know, and I found it interesting that I've read some this week that the coaches even said I think Kilbin and Coyle both said that you know when they would make cut ups of the season and, and you know highlight plays that Missy was always there in the middle of them. And you know, it, it seems to me that they're learning to to be more adaptive instead of just the kind of cardboard stuff that we've seen before. From they're like, hey, this guy's actually. He, he's showing up on plays. Let's get him on the field more and find a way to get him on the field. Um, you know, so I, I well, think that's working. I, I honestly think this is Wheeler's last year here. I mean, he's going to have to play out um, really hard just to, to stay with the team. I think he was a major liability. I, I, I just did not like the way he played last year. And um, I don't think he's good in coverage. Um I, you know, I don't know. I, I like that signing because when it first happened, because, you know, he, he did – I thought he played well in his previous spots. Uh, he just did not – you know, and he led the team in tackles. And people were like, well, you know, he had this many tackles. But at the same time, you know, I remember the first Buffalo game, they needed a stop on third down to make it a long kick for Carpenter and to, you know, conserve some time on the clock. And what does he do? He, he – can't make the tackle, and Fred Jackson gets first down, and that ended the ball game pretty much. So, um, you know, it's that kind of stuff sticks out in my mind. So I think what they're, what's going to end up happening is they've been keeping him at, at um, Will, the Will linebacker spot, the weak side, while Ellerby's playing the strong side, which most people thought it would be reverse. And honestly, I think what they're doing 
is there keeping that place warm for Jordan Tripp until he gets comfortable enough with the playbook, comfortable enough with everything, or he's going to step in and be the uh, be the uh, the will the starting wheel linebacker. They've been um, putting Jelani Jenkins in as a sub for Ellerby um, at strong side, so I think they're going to use. I think once you know, I like Jenkins. I think he's going to be a good player. Um, I think once um, once Tripp gets gets up to NFL speed, uh, I, I think you're going to see a a four four man linebacker spot of starting with Ellerby, Nisi, and then Tripp with uh, Jenkins coming in as a coverage guy, and then they'll probably this season use when that happens. Wheeler will be coming in as more of a blitzing specialist. Um, that's just kind of what I would foresee, but I mean we'll we'll know more when actual when actual training camp happens. But I think Ellerby can stay, even though he's got a lot of money, simply because he will be better at the outside linebacker position. He's just he, that's a better spot for him. Um, one of the things interesting about what you just said was uh, one of the things I contemplated because one of the things um, Jordan Tripp was talking about was he can play inside, he can play outside, he can play safety, he can play, you know, so on and so forth. When we drafted him and they did that interview, one of, and that was interesting that you said that because I thought about a four-four-three where you know instead of having the substitute. You know, put him in there replacing what the heck's his name, our new safety. Um, Lewis Thomas. Yeah, and, you know, to pr- kind of preserve him a little bit, you know, using a 4-4-3 and kind of subbing him out there, you know, to where we can kind of move him around as well. You know, well, that, and that if, depends on, you know, whenever, if, if Tripp can handle the coverage responsibilities. I think. Um, I think Jenkins started out as a safety in college and then was moved to the linebacker, if I'm not mistaken. He played some safety, at least in high school, and then was converted to a linebacker. So I think he is more of a – I think he's a guy that they like because he's a zone, kind of a, a zone guy that excels in that. Um, and he was getting more playing time last year. So I'm kind of expecting him to do a little bit more this year. It, you know, if Tripp can handle the covered responsibilities, then, uh, you know, they might go to something like that where they keep a linebacker more on the field. Um, you know, you know, it just depends, especially against teams, you know, that like to run with, with you know, a lot more tight end sets like New England as opposed to the, uh, you know, whereas uh, some of these teams have to spread out with wide receivers. They like to use more uh, tight ends and stuff. So, um, Like the Saints with Jimmy Graham? Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anybody on our team really that can cover Jimmy Graham. Um, maybe Jordan could. I just don't think there's that many people in the league that can, um, just because of the size. But and that's uh, you know, but I, I think our linebackers are are shaping up. I still think we're you know, it depends on what Misi does this season, but I think we're shaping up to. I'm hoping to go into the 2015 draft. In the 2015 off season, uh, where you know we can pick and choose what we want, and I'm kind of hoping we can start drafting, um, start looking at safeties, start looking at linebackers, those type of positions uh, in the draft where we don't have to worry about the offensive line or defensive line as much. So, um, mm-hmm. 
but I think, I think we're going to be, I think we're going to, we've got some players that we can, you know, invest in. I, I like the trip pick. Um, I think he's going to turn out to be a, a decent, uh, if nothing else, a decent backup. You know, which is, you know, pretty good for a fifth round pick. Yeah, this last question has to do with Cortland Finnegan. I've always been on his bandwagon a little bit. I know he's a little slower. He didn't do as good last year. But, you know, the noise coming out of OTAs about how he's taking Jamar Taylor and everything else, do you think now a little bit more that this is a little more worth it, signing him? Well, I don't. I'm not one that cares as much about the money aspect. I mean, it's not my money just, just getting forked out. Um, if a team wants to pay them a lot of money, that that's their 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 deal. Uh, you know, you you want a guy to contribute kind of up to what he's getting paid. But um, you know, I, I think he. I, I read some stuff about him. Number one, he was hurt last year, and uh, he, he played hurt, and that's part of the reason why he wasn't as uh, as effective. But two was that, uh, I don't remember if it was Jeff Fisher or someone else was saying that whoever the defensive coordinator was, kind of using him uh, scheme-wise in an unfamiliar scheme that didn't play to his strengths. So if if he's, if the Dolphins scheme fits his strengths, then he may be a little better uh, than what we're seeing. Now, I think he knows and everyone else knows that this is not a you know, a long-term stint. He's not, you know, he's not going to be here for the next five, six, seven years. So, I think that's part of why he's taking guys like Taylor and working with him and trying to develop him a little bit. He's like, look, you know, you, know, you this may be my season to start, but you're you're going to be the future, and I can help you get to that spot. And I think he's going to work with him like that. And I think that's good. You know, he, he's learning from, from everything I've read about Kenningans. He's a he's a film room junkie. He likes to uh, – he's always studying the game. I think he's going to help those young guys kind of, you know, get that aspect of it to where uh, they can maximize their potential in that regard. So I, I'm all for it, you know. I, I, I'm hoping more that Taylor is going to be the guy that starts uh, because I hope he'll earn the spot because he's talented enough to do so. But, you know – and honestly, I would like to see, you know, Grimes and Taylor as your starters. Um, I'd like to see Finnegan move into the nickel spot and then Wilson move out to safety. Even though I like Wilson as a nickel guy, I think he's a guy that can come down and defend man-to-man as a safety, but I think he's going to excel as a safety as well. He's never really played it since he's been in Miami. He's been mostly a corner or the nickel guy, but he he said uh, I read something that said he wants to start, and I think he can start at safety. And with Delmas having an injury history, it's you know you could almost say it's likely that he's going to end up getting a spot like that. So these young corners that we have are going to be placed in a position where they're going to either start, perhaps play, you know, significant time. And it's good that a guy like Finnegan who has the experience, the knowledge to develop, to, to work with him and say, you know, this is some of the things you need to do. You know, he could, he could be a, uh, you know, a selfish guy and say, you know, yeah, I'm going to take my money, I want to start, I want to do this, but he, he's turned around and he's helping them and saying, well, I'm, I'm going to pass this on and make you a better player. Yeah. That's always good. Well, 
think that's it for my questions. I know y'all probably have tons of people wanting to talk, and I got to finish packing. I'm moving to Florida in two and a half weeks. Um, I guess that does lead to one more question. If you could go to one game, what would it be? Because I'm getting one home game because I'm getting tickets for Christmas um, for whatever game I choose as far as a home game. Or any any game this season. Um, well, if I could pick one, it would probably be the Oakland game, simply because it's in London. And if you got to go to that game, you not only get to see the Dolphins play, but you get to go to London also. So I mean, why not just why not just do that? Uh, as far as that football game team that I want to see play, um, it wouldn't matter. I, I really wouldn't care. It's the Dolphins. I'll take any of them. Um, I going to the Patriots game opening day would be awesome. I think that place is going to be rocking. I think that after what happened with the Patriots in Miami last year, it will be a great game to attend. Um, obviously, the Jets game is always a game to go to. You, you, you have to expect half the fans to be filled with Jets fans, but that's always a good game to attend. Um, if you're looking outside of the – the uh, division rivalries. Um, Packers. Packers would be an interesting one. Probably, probably the one that would be the best would be any of the three of the four weeks at the end of the year where take out the Patriots away game in there. You have the Ravens, you have the Vikings, and you have the Jets. So the Ravens are probably going to be looking to make a playoff push, just like hopefully the Dolphins are. Uh, The Vikings would be just – it's at the end of the season, so there are playoff implications on the line, even though that's an NFC team. And then the Jets game could be get into the playoffs, and it's the Jets. So any of those three at the end of the season would be really good, or I would go with the Patriots to start the season. I'll probably do the Jets one just because everybody's talking about how they supposedly had the third best off season and stuff. Just I just know it. that those that that game will sell out fast. So however you're getting the tickets, just know because it it is the Jets and it is to end the season. So it will probably sell out fast. Um, the Patriots game will sell out fast, and that Jets game will. And my response to having the, the, the third best offseason is uh, last year Miami had the, the best offseason, according to most people. So, yeah. So well, that, you know, offseason chance doesn't really mean anything. Uh, I don't know. I still don't know who the Jets are going to throw to. Uh, they, they got Eric Decker, and I don't know. They got they grabbed some rookies. Uh, Jason Morrow, he, he might do. He might do okay. I don't think he's a guy that's going to come in and be dominant as a rookie. I could be wrong, but uh, after that, heck, I mean, go to Clyde Gates. Yeah, I don't think Clyde Gates is going to be the next Wes Welker, but that's just me. <laughs> um, but I do appreciate you guys letting me call in and talk for a long time. Um good show today so far 
Thanks very much. I know we're all a little bit rusty, but thanks very much, and thanks for calling in. You have a good night. No problem. You too. So, Seth, you, you, uh... Well, let me, uh... Before we, yeah. before we start on anything else, let's, uh, we'll go ahead, since it's been, you know, a month or so, let's, uh, I'll go ahead and finish up kind of the draft stuff. Uh, Billy yep. Turner was my favorite pick. Uh, I remember Keith sending me a text saying, we need to watch tape on this guy. We did. Blown away. Uh, I don't know that he's going to start this year. It sounds like Dallas Thomas is getting first-team reps, and uh, I saw the interview with him on the um, the Dolphins' website, and he looks like a monster. Like his arms and shoulders look like yep. just massive. I like, yeah, he, he's uh, going to start. He's, 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 he's um, definitely ready to go this year. Yep. And and he not only is he he's healthy, not coming off an injury last year, they've moved him back to his spot of guard instead of tackle. I think he's going to get in good shape. Uh, and one thing, I know we draft a lot of, uh, you know, small school guys, lower division guys, but from what I was reading is that Hickey goes after traits as opposed to necessarily production in schools. Like he's not focusing on, well, this guy did – such and such because and he, he played in the SEC or whatever. He looked at particular traits that an individual player had and that's what he drafted. So right. uh, that's I, I like that approach because I, I would think if I was a general manager that would be kind of my approach. You know, I would be the kind of guy that like, well I I like this corner because he's six three and whatever else and he does such and such, you know, that's kinda of how I would draft as opposed to well this guy played in the SEC or whatever, so however other people got. So I kind of like that approach, and I think that's why he took a lot of the small school players. And, uh, and uh, you know, I remember Rich Eisen during the draft, because I, I, I came in that Saturday to the draft on right as, right after the Dolphins picked uh, Terrence Fidei. And he questions, like, would you – you know, as a, as a player from Marist, better than, than Michael Sam. And uh, I didn't know who picked Terrence today, and I, I, I finally found out on Twitter, and I was like, you know, there's a lot of people, like uh, Oscar, who uh, contributes on the site some, uh, big draft guy. They like today over a lot of uh, other players. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, and that's a deep position, but he's a big guy. I think he's, what, like six five two. 280, somewhere in that range. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see how he fits in because he seems just like a, a monster dude for that position. So, um, But overall, I thought the draft was fairly successful. I mean, uh, of course, it's the Dolphins fix. I'm not really going to dislike any of them, but I think they still and I like I really like the offensive line fix. That, that's it, exactly. I think that this draft... I know a lot of fans had issues with it. I know a lot of the media likes to rip it apart because it wasn't sexy. But the Dolphins didn't need to be sexy this year. I put it out on Twitter several times during the uh, during the draft that this year was all about building the foundation. The Dolphins' foundation was broken. It had cracked. And you can keep building as many cool new rooms onto a house as you want, but as long as the foundation is cracked, you're never going to sell that house, and you're never going to know that that house is going to keep standing. Eventually, it's going to fall apart. And 
the Dolphins had to fix their foundation this year. And that's what they did. They had a solid draft. It's not sexy. It's not going to go out there and blow somebody away. And you know what? They don't need that today. They need this. They need to put the offensive line back together. Suddenly now we're talking about players that we don't know where they're going to fit onto the offensive line because there are other players ahead of them. A month ago, we would have all thought that was crazy. But suddenly you're talking about Billy Turner not being able to get onto the line because Shelly Smith and uh, Dallas Thomas look like they're ready to go. I mean, it's what just happened here. The offensive line suddenly became a not necessarily a strength, but a depth for the Dolphins that they didn't have a month ago. So I think that's a huge, huge point. And I do. I think that this was a solid draft, just not a sexy one. Um, Ohio had a couple questions here in the thread. Uh, if you're listening to the show for the first time, Ohio Finn Fan for Life. Um, first one is, are we happy with Hickey's performance so far? Um, I think you absolutely have to be because he looked at the team. He said, these are the needs that I see coming into this team, and he went and got them. Now, three years from now, are we going to be sitting here looking at Billy Turner and wondering if it was the right pick? Maybe, maybe not. But today, he went and he answered the question of how do you rebuild this offense? How do you rebuild this team? And he did it well. He went and got a pro bowler to be the left tackle, a guy that last year, and and don't get me wrong, in this sense, I absolutely agree with Jeff Ireland on how how he was approaching uh, Brendan Albert because he did not want to overpay in draft picks to then turn around and give him a big contract. He said, you know what? We can wait a year and he's going to hit the free agent market and we'll get him then. And now obviously Ireland wasn't here for it to happen, but that's what happened. Of course, at the same time, did Ireland know in March of last year that 58 sacks were coming and that, uh, Jonathan Martin was going to be an abject failure at left tackle. No, he didn't. You could make the argument that Joe Philbin did, and that probably is a large chunk of why those two seem to stop getting together so much. But uh, they, the Jeff Ireland had a plan to get Brendan Albert this year, and the Dolphins still executed that plan, and it was the right plan. Get him without sacrificing first, second, third, fourth, whatever would have been round picks in order to get him. Because the Chiefs were trying to play games, and they were they knew the Dolphins were desperate at left tackle, and they called the Dolphins bluff, and the Dolphins didn't bluff. They didn't make the trade. They sacrificed Ryan Tannehill to the tune of 58 sacks, but they didn't budge on giving up draft picks for him, and I can't fault him for that. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I like I like what he, I like Hickey's approach. I mean, he's uh, you know, there was some, some talk before the draft about how he uses, you know, like uh, a lot of uh, he wanted to do like an analytics uh, team. Uh, you know, he has a what is that like a TV system that he uses like a smart TV thing. I don't know what it is exactly, but um, you know, like that approach. Um, you know, and, and I mean, he's done everything that he possibly could. I mean, you look at the team right now. The, you know, based on what you've done this this off season, probably the one 
weak area is linebacker, but what were you going to do? I mean, you weren't going to bring Carlos Dansby back. Um, you right. tried to bring in Dickwell Jackson. Um, you know, uh, and Mosley and Shazer you're were also gone. Kind of, you're also kind of handcuffed just because of the money that those two mm-hmm. guys are already eating up. Wheeler yeah, and LRB I mean, are eating up money. So you can't go out and spend another big money contract to go get a top-of-the-line middle linebacker out of free agency. So maybe they do next year. Maybe they just say, you know what, we're not a 100% put-together team this year. We're going to give you everything we got, but we realize that we still have a couple holes that have to be answered next year. Yeah, and, and, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some some negative fans out there that would would find all kinds of holes in the team to 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 uh, say that they need to address. But oh yeah, he he's taken basically every position or every area that the Dolphins think thought they needed to address, and he's addressed it. Now, whether or not he's successful at it will, be, will depend on you know how these guys play. But he brought in he's beefed up the offensive line. We needed that. He had uh, you know he the defensive line. Lost Soli, but he wasn't going to give him the kind of money that Soli was going to get from Atlanta. So he was Soli, I banked. Yeah, so uh, they brought back Randy Starks for like nothing, which I thought was a uh, tremendous deal. Um, you know, they got some, and uh, you know, they, they brought in that guy was Anthony Johnson. Uh, I laughed when I saw that he signed with the Dolphins because I thought that guy was for sure going to be a draft pick. He was like a third, fourth-round kind of guy. I picked him up as an undrafted free agent. So I think the defensive line is going to be fine. Um, you know, uh, he addressed, addressed the safety position. He brought in Finnegan to help with the corners. Uh, brought in Moreno to help with the running backs. I think Moreno was a good choice there, too, just to – even I, I know there's reports out that he looks overweight right now and that he's not getting the first team picks for or first team reps while Lamar Miller is. Um, I, I think that even if that's the case, he's out of shape right now. I think that you brought in somebody to challenge Miller and to be your change of pace second string guy if Miller can win the job. If not, Miller's that guy. And I think that you absolutely made the right choice there. Um, I know it's unpopular, but I still think that given the way this team is shaped up, Daniel Thomas has a place on this team from what – I mean, obviously you have to take into account that the Dolphins have had six days of OTAs now, but media's only been there for two. They've only been there the first day of each OTA. But from what I've heard that Daniel Thomas has come – into camp looking like he is ready to go right now, and he looks stronger, he looks bigger, he looks like he's ready to go. And a part of what could be his problem could always be he's always been concerned about concussions because he didn't have that helmet that they finally found for him a year and a half ago. And maybe he is finally starting to turn it on. If he doesn't make this team, am I going to be surprised? No, not at all. I think he's absolutely a bubble player at this point. Yeah, I think he can – there's there's some areas of his game that need to be worked on, but and that's the thing. It's hard to deal. It's hard to look at running backs and OTAs because nobody's touching them. Um, they're not getting yeah. hit. They're not having to fight for extra yards. They're not doing that stuff that running backs have to do in in, in a real game. So it's just like trying to yeah. say how O line is doing. 
you can't. Yeah. Because defensive ends are not bull rushing right now. And I've seen pictures of Moreno. There's there's several posted around different places. I mean, when I was reading one of the uh, something I think Omar wrote on Sun Sentinel, and he said he was he was there the day they the last OTA that they had in the bubble, and he said who is this fat rookie or who's this out of shape rookie running back? And he said oh that's Moreno, and I looked at some of the pictures and I'm like first of all his arms look pretty. Pretty buffed up, you know. Yeah. You think he was a big tubble lord? He was be kind of, you know, look like big baby or something out there. But he, his arms were pretty cut up. And then there was a picture of him. He's like stretching, and he, his shirt has come up. And has he got you know the ripped abs or something? No. But does he look like he's you know, look like he needs to push away from the table? No. So maybe it's maybe his overall conditioning needs some work. But as far as looking kind of out of shape and the way it got kind of portrayed, I don't, I don't think that's the case. I mean, I mean he looks like he, he looks like a power back. Who was it during the uh, during the hard knock season that was out of shape? Uh, let's see. Well, he just kept running him over and over and over. Oh, that was a uh, John Jerry. Oh, it was Jerry. It was John Jerry. Yeah. I don't know oh, why. Yeah, I, I, for some reason, I was stuck thinking it was on defensive defensive line, but no, it was John Jerry. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Up, they, because uh, they asked me how much he weighed, and he's like three ninety something. They'll, they'll, they'll give Moreno the John Jerry treatment if they have to, and just run yeah, him. And, and they uh, and he because that one that one scene, he's he's like Chaz, Chaz, Chaz. How do you say Alexi or whatever. He's like Chaz, yeah. man, take it easy on me, man. Keep saying that. Uh, <laughs> So that was pretty good. And then, uh, yeah, from everything I'm reading about Moreno, he's a guy that plays his way into shape. And I'm I'm on the side of Omar on this from what I read. He said, said, I'm not going to judge a player on how they get into shape. He said, if they've got a routine that helps them through the season, helps them get ready for it. Uh, And and we've seen that in basketball, you know. Yeah. The older – some of the, kind of the older, bigger players, they will use the regular season to kind of play their way into basketball shape in time for the playoffs. Um, you know, if you're, if, you know, if you're a vet and you you've got your money banked and you, you ain't got to worry about it, you know, maybe that's not a good idea for somebody like Daniel Thomas. But Moreno's, you know, he, he's got his routine. He, he knows he's on a one-year deal. He's not going to. He's not going to say, "Hey, I, I finally made it. Now I'm a star. I'm going to go eat myself, you know, into oblivion." So, um, yeah, that's not happening. So this is just part of his routine. If he shows up to camp like that and he's winded and everything, you know, then, then we'll be worried. Right now, it's not the deal. I do. Uh, I, I want to touch a couple more things, but. Um, we're right at the one-hour mark, and my goal for the for the show as we restart it is to try to shorten it down a little bit from the 90 minutes we were pushing uh, down to about an hour just because people have a lot to do listening to a 90-minute show, especially if somebody's trying to download it later and listen to it. It's not as easy. So I'm going to try to cut it down to about an hour. Um, with that said, I do want to touch on a couple more things because we haven't had a show in a while. Uh, and I would Ohio, say yes. Remember, we're kind of catching up from from lost times. So. Yeah, Ohio picked or hit another one. That speaking of size, Deion Jordan, um, he's 
Last year he or at the combine he was two forty five. This year he's coming in at two sixty five. So he has definitely put on more weight. He's definitely gotten stronger. Hopefully that means that he's ready to go and start becoming a defensive end. He's not going to be an outside linebacker at that size. He's going to be in defensive end. And then Ohio goes on to say, I hope JT comes around more to help him come into his own. And I think that's a huge thing. Jason Taylor was at at least the first set of OTAs. I didn't hear that he was at the second set, but he was at the first set of OTAs. And hopefully he is going to be able to give Deion Jordan that that knowledge base to be able to become, since that's what that's who everybody compared Deion Jordan to in the first place, was Jason Taylor. Hopefully Jason Taylor can get Deion Jordan to become Jason Taylor. Yeah, and, and one thing I don't, I really don't want them to do is, you know, I understand they want they drafted him to play the defensive end position, but I really think they should still use him in coverage some too because he's such I a, think freak, they will. a yeah. freak athlete. And they're probably not going to do that now, you know. But at 265, that, that's a pretty good size. I think all the beat writers were saying it was like he took a, uh, like an air pump and just pumped it in his shoulders and arms. Is how much bigger he looked. I mean, he looked massive last year. You watched him on special teams, and it was like a man among boys sometimes running down yep. the field. But uh, I think I another part that, of that is the shoulder, the shoulder injury and surgery. Yeah, it pro- he probably lost some muscle mass in his arms yeah. and his yeah. shoulders from that. So this could be just getting it back to where it was. Yeah, and uh, I I don't think Taylor was at the second set of OTAs, or at least the the media one. Right, but uh, Sam Madison was there. Oh, was and he? From what I read, yeah, Sam Madison was there. Of course, you know he works with the other Finn fighters. Right. Um, he was actually there watching practice because I showed a picture of him on the website talking to Portland Finnegan. But after he was there on the field, he actually went into the film room and worked with all the corners in the film room too. So, uh, cool. you know, that's you you can't beat that. I mean, uh, that's the kind of stuff that you know. Of course, he's like I said, he's a, he's a Dawson Cruz too, so that's his. That's what he I wants want to, to say. Do, so. On the Finsiders, it was probably a week ago. Um, the Dolphins radio show, the Finsiders, which is spelled with an F, in case you all are confused. Um, I I think it was then. I, I unfortunately I can't remember who was the uh, who was the player that said it. It was either. I want to say it was one of the Troys, either Troy Drayton or Troy Stafford, or it could have been uh, Sam Madison. Um, but they were talking about it, and they said that they wanted to thank Coach Philbin because Coach Philbin wrote a letter to all of the former Dolphins, all the retired Dolphins, just telling them, hey, we want you to be a part of this franchise. We we want to remember the um, – the, the the effort you put into making this team what it was, and it's our goal to get it back to that. And so I think that was pretty cool, and I think that is a big part of why you are starting to see these guys. I know they did it last year. I know Chad Pennington was there for a little bit last year, and they had guys in and out, but I think that's why you are. You're seeing these alumni players coming back and being guest coaches for a day or for three days or something. Because I think Joe Philbin, it is important to him that he reaches out to these guys and tries to get them back into the fold. Because obviously Jason Taylor has stuff to J- Jason Taylor has stuff to pass on. 
Sam Madison has stuff to pass on to these players. And I think that's a big thing that the Dolphins are trying to do right by now. Um, I think that's everything that I have seen coming out of the live thread. I did not get anything on Twitter. So next show, guys, if you want to hit me up on Twitter, it's at the Finsider. It's open and I'm checking it. So uh, make sure you hit us up that way. And I will turn it over to you if you have any final thoughts. Uh, so my phone was on me, and I tried to talk. Um, the, uh, the only other things about OTAs is uh, there's several things that we're seeing so far. Number one, we're seeing a lot more usage of the tight ends. Um, they, you know, we've read that uh, Michael Agnew is being lined up out wide, and he's being used now as a linebacker, or not a linebacker, as a receiving tight end as opposed to a blocking tight end. Um, right. So I think that's a good thing. We're seeing a lot of motion, um, movement around. Mike Wallace is not staying in the same place. Um, he's being used a lot. Um, it, it seems to me Bill Lazor is kind of a, a you know, we've seen Philbin, how he's kind of a stickler for certain things. I think Lazor is similar, but, you know, he, he wants his offense to run very well. So, you know, it kind of seems – it kind of seems sometimes last year like Mike Sherman was just kind of like, oh, let's just run that play. You know, I can't think of anything better to do. And I don't think Laser is like that. He seems like a guy who, who wants things to work precisely. He's constantly watching the quarterbacks, making sure their timing's right, their footwork's right. He, I read the other day he was, he was fussing at Michael Agnew for not being in the right spot to get a play. He wants everything to work right. So I think the offense is going to look a lot better this year. Um, I'm kind of – the more I read and the more I hear about it, the more excited I am about the, about the offense. And, two, you know, we read a lot about Mike Wallace being more comfortable, not just within the offense, but just in the, in the city, you know, on the team. You know, last year he was maybe not as comfortable. Now he seems like he's enjoying it. He's ready to go. He's staying late after practice, working on the judge machine. Um, I think they're building this offense kind of around him and his talent. So um, I'm cautiously optimistic, but I'm kind of excited about uh, seeing what this Miami offense is going to do. I think that that, that's absolutely the best way to put it, cautiously optimistic, because we are. We're hearing great things. The, the team seems to be um, the team seems to be really clicking with this offense right now, and it's early on, so overthrown passes, dropped balls, things like that aren't going to worry me. And you also can't take into take it with a grain of salt that oh he just busted a run for twenty yards they can't hit right now, so you're not seeing guys actually tackle. Um, so there's there, there's good and bad out of this. It is guys practicing in shorts and a helmet, so you can't really you know for sure what it's going to look like. But, yeah, I think that with all the news of how often they're moving Mike Wallace around, uh, the, the tight ends moving around, um, how you're seeing – uh, running back screens show up in the the play calling, and they they do seem to have a set plan and lasers going for it, and we'll see how it turns out once the games start playing. 
but yeah, I do and, think it's a big uh, thing. And I think Omar mentioned this in a post, something he wrote the other day. And I agree with it. He said, you know, even though this is basically just flag football, they're not doing much. When you score three touchdowns in a practice, yep. you've done pretty good. And I think there was uh, Wallace had three, Hartline had a touchdown, and he said it was red zone work, so expect a lot of that. But the one thing you can do in these this type of practice is you can cover and mm-hmm. you can bend passes, you can intercept passes. So if you're scoring, and the one that was the most exciting one, of course, he said that there was a perfectly home, indefensible pass. Basically, Wallace scored touchdown from Tannehill on a pass that it doesn't matter if Richard Sherman, Revis, or whoever was defending him, it was, they could not have defended it. So right. that's the kind of stuff you want to read. So um, as far as the final thought, I did see the post today about Jonathan Martin and his, his quote to LeBron. Um, I, I understand why the Dolphins wanted uh, – Mike Townsend to, to deactivate his Twitter account. If I were Jim Harbaugh, I would tell Martin to do the same thing. It's like, listen, uh, you know, you've already gotten in trouble for whatever reason, being a victim, however you want to look at it, with this kind of stuff. You just need to keep quiet and stay in the background for a little bit. Yeah, I think that the Martin needs to just go away and be quiet. He's not projected to be a starter. He needs to just disappear for a while and let everything go by. And I know that there were guys on our site that were talking about how it was was interesting where the comments on the site about about the, the thread was about Jonathan Martin deciding that he needed to basically tell LeBron James, he needs to toughen up and get back out on the field, which is absolutely the most ridiculous thing Jonathan Martin could have ever done. But my point to that was not that Jonathan Martin's soft or any of that. You guys can have that opinion. That that wasn't what I was saying. But I was saying the fact that the guy who quit on the team is telling somebody else they need to get back on the field, that makes no sense. And that opens him up to ridicule. And if you're Jonathan Martin, that's not what you excuse me, that's not what you need right now. You need to just go away and make people forget. And then it maybe you can work your way back into the starting lineup with those forty nine. It's one thing it's one thing if you're a vocal player. I mean if Richard Sherman had said that Right. Yeah, he's a vocal player, but he's one of the best at his position. He's gonna be on the Madden cover, he's won a Super Bowl. If he said that, people may not appreciate it, but they're like, Hey, well this guy's that's yep. what it does. When you're a lightning rod player, right, this would be no different if Mike Pouncey said it or if Incognito or anybody anybody involved in anything like this. Anybody that has any kind of off-field issue, when you're a lightning rod player or something that happens via some kind of a, a medium like that, you don't come out and say that, like you said, because it's going to subject yourself to ridicule, especially when you have affected the fan base. Because regardless of what was said or whatever about Martin, there's a lot of fans out there, Dolphins fans, who feel that Martin did quit on the team. They feel he's a soft player. So they don't they don't care about whether or not he was bullied or any of that mess. They're basically like, I'm a Dolphins fan, and you hurt my team by what you did. So don't go out there and start saying stuff, because you're going to subject yourself to that ridicule. You're going to put yourself up in a position to where, you know, it's going to get media attention, you know. If you know if some 
some punter had said that. Nobody's going to care. But you're a guy whose name is now notorious with with something, and you say something like that, it just doesn't jive. So his best bet is stay quiet. Stay out of it. You know, make it to a Pro Bowl or something before you decide to say something. Don't Don't do that. Yeah, I think uh I think that Richard Richard Sherman absolutely could have said it. Just about anybody in the league could have said something about LeBron James in that situation and people would have been like, "Oh, well, he doesn't know what he's talking about or anything like that." And if you watch Twitter and all the reports, the majority of them out there have said that the Athletes are all basically going, you all do, just don't understand cramps. If you cramp up yeah. to the point where your body just doesn't work, and I've had that, that your body just quits and you're not walking, you're not running, you're not doing anything. And it's unfortunate that LeBron James had that happen on such a stage, and you knew it was going to give ridicule. People were going to jump all over it. And for whatever it's worth, the the majority of athletes seem to be backing him. But when you are Jonathan Martin and you just had half a season off because eh, you felt like that you couldn't handle um, the bullying that was going on within the locker room, coming out and declaring that LeBron James needs to get back in a game where he can't walk, probably not your best move. Um, yeah, and especially when it was it, it made it – it made it sound like it was about, you know, I said it was a whole situation, but it's this wasn't a question, you know. Martin had his toughness questioned by a lot. Now he's questioning someone else. It's just, yep. yeah, it's just not, yeah. not cool with not that. For, and I, and I, yeah, I've seen that about the, about the athletes. I mean, that's the same thing, you know, you know, Michael Jordan playing in the flu game or, or some stuff like that. You know, I've woke up in the middle of the night with cramps before and, you know, leg cramping up or something like that. It's, you know, and while I yeah, you get you get it, a bad not necessarily sleep. I mean, yeah, it'll wake play a basketball up. game. You can't sleep. I uh, I actually saw it in a magazine. It was a, uh, a bodybuilding competition, and those guys are notorious for they will dehydrate so much to make their skin tight against right. the muscles from the competition. And this guy was in the middle of a flex cramped up, bent in half, and they had to carry him off the stage, bent in half, uh, because he couldn't straighten back up. They had to go in and give him, he couldn't drink anything. They had to give him an IV to get him enough fluid to be able to actually straighten his body out. So, and he, and he, you've, we've seen the pictures from somebody cramps up, like I've seen the basketball, and you see the muscles tighten up and lock up. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, and because it's LeBron James, I mean, if it had been, you know, Shane Battier or somebody else that was, you know, a complimentary player, it wouldn't have been a big deal, but it's just the star player. But, you know, like I said, most of the athletes have said, you know what, you know, I, I remember, I, I think I read a couple of things about Mike Wallace and uh, Jimmy Wilson talking about, it. like, yeah, this stuff's just, it's no joke. You don't mess with it, you know. Uh, it's like you can't, you can't, you can't run, uh, let alone even try to walk or something when you have these cramps. So, yeah, it's just... <laughs> Just that comment, it showed this lack of, not only a lack of understanding, but just wrong words from the wrong individuals. Yep. 
But well, uh, James, I know that you're still floating around somewhere out there. You have any thoughts? Anything you want to bring up as we get ready to end the show? No. Okay. Short and sweet. <laughs> he, um, he, he starts the show with a hello and hello. with a no. Okay. <laughs> I'll be more talkative next time. I'm 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 exhausted this week. Not a problem. Not a problem at all. Uh, guys, thanks very much. We will. We we are looking to move this probably back to its normal Thursday. Hopefully, starting next week. Uh, we, we're looking at figuring it all out. My schedule has opened up a little bit, so I think we should be okay, and we should be able to get the show back on regularly. Like I said, I want to try to shorten it down. I got a few other ideas. Um, at some point, we may try to bring back Finsider TV also. I don't know if, when we will do that, but there, there are a few things going on this off season as we try to plan some things out. And uh, thanks for listening tonight. If you are listening on uh, through iTunes, thank you for downloading the show that way. And uh, we will hopefully be back next week to talk more Dolphin stuff. So thanks, everybody, and good night. Good night. Now at O'Reilly Auto Parts, pick up a bottle of Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale for $7.99. Plus, earn double O Rewards points. Help your engine run smoother and last longer with Seafoam Motor Treatment on sale now at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Limit supplies. See store for details. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? And why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out.